Welcome to Egypt. You always wanted to go to Egypt, have you? It's very nice. This couple wanted to sell their place, and so they called the real estate agent. The real estate agent came over, and they sat down, had some coffee, and began to discuss um, what they wanted to do. And the real estate agent said, uh, tell me, what all you have here? I mean, let's, let's get it down on paper. And the couple looked at each other and says, well, we've got a three-bedroom home. We've got a, uh, we've got a den. We've got a living room. We've got a dining room. We have got uh, a nice back porch. We've got a two-car garage. Out back, I've got a shop. And uh, we've got a real nice creek that runs down through the back of our property. Uh, we've got some pecan trees, some oak trees. And uh, down by the creek, we've got some uh, pine trees down there, and, and uh, we just got a nice place here. And uh, got a real nice gate that you come into, and, and the real estate agent is writing all that down. And, and uh, real estate agent, let's see if I get all this. Now, let me describe what you just told me. You've got a beautiful home in the country with five acres, three bedrooms, Two baths, nice kitchen, all the appliances. You've got a real nice back porch. You've got a shop out back. You've got a creek that runs through your property. You've got a real nice entrance gate. Uh, you've got uh, all these amenities in your house. They said, yes, that sounds about right. And then the real estate agent said, well, what are you looking for? And the couple looked at each other, and he said, we want what we have. We want what we have. And they looked at each other and said, sorry to bring you over. We're not looking for a place. We got what we want. They had to hear it. They had to hear it put in those picturesque terms. They had to have someone else speak back to them so they would understand that what they really want is what they have and they didn't realize what they had. Our enemy, Satan, the liar, I'm here to tell you, he is always telling us that we don't have what we want. Or he's telling us that we need to want what we don't have. There's two philosophies or two strategies that Satan has today. For the unbeliever, he works very smart, very, it's very strategic. It's precise. And Satan works through the world, through our flesh, through the evil system that he's created to have unbelievers not believe. And when they begin to believe, they have all these reasons why they can't believe. They don't believe in this, they don't believe in that, and they go through a gambit of reasons why they don't believe, the hypocrisy of the church, all the problems in the body of Christ, never really seeing a true believer, all those things that that Satan lays out there and says to them, but if they do become a believer in life and Satan loses hold of them, then he has a strategy. He's got a plan to defeat that believer. And, and Satan will work to cause us not to understand what we have in Christ. Because if we don't understand what we have in Christ, we're certainly not going to have the ability to live it to live it out. 
and to be able to be public with our faith in Christ. And we're going to be subdued. We're going to be limited in our own mind. We're not going to fully understand what we have in the Lord Jesus. The other day I heard about this young girl who decided that she wanted to start Bible study fellowship when it began in the fall. And the reason that she gave that she wanted to go to Bible study fellowship was that she felt insecure in her limited understanding of the Bible. And so she began the Bible study fellowship, and she was in the Bible study fellowship for for two or three weeks, and then she decided that she would quit. And you know why she quit? Because she said that the ladies at the Bible study fellowship that led her group, that taught her, made her feel inferior because of all their Bible knowledge. And they could answer the questions, and people around her could answer the questions. And so it made her feel ignorant. The reason why she went in the first place because she didn't feel that she knew enough. And then when she went and began to dig into the Bible and learn all those things, she decided, I can't do that because they make me feel inferior. Satan did that. Satan did that. That's the way he works. That, I mean, did God do that? No. Did the Holy Spirit do that? Of course not. She did that. She listened to the wrong person. She listened to the liar. And, and, and Satan convinced her that they're making her feel inferior. And so quit going. And, and what she really needed was to go and get the information and learn it, however long it took, go in there and learn it. Go in there and learn it. And, and, and he's using today this I'm offended thing. Don't let anybody offend you. Satan wants you to be offended. He wants you to get mad at your teachers. He wants you to get mad at your preacher. He wants you to get mad at your situation. He just wants you to be mad. He wants you to be offended. It's, it's the way he works today. Don't allow that to happen. He wants every believer to believe that they are insignificant, worthless, or unimportant. He wants every believer to believe that God is not really interested in them. God is God, and he's a creator, but not really interested in your life. He doesn't really care about your day-to-days. That's not true. He does care. He wants every believer to think that we do not really have a pathway to the truth that we find in Jesus. This is things like there's no real truth, or truth is only what you make it, and there's no real true truth. He wants a believer to believe that. He wants every believer to believe that how they feel is more important than truth. How you feel. I feel bad, so Jesus must not be Lord is pretty much how that works out to be. And it's feelings over truth. So, it's really important for every believer to understand what you have in Christ. And the first step to understanding what you have in Christ is the understanding who Christ is and to believe in what the Scripture has to say about who Christ is and then be accepting, yielding, surrendered to what the Bible has to say about who we are. So Galatians 4 is our next place for this. And in Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7, I think it just lays out for us some of the things 
that we had in Jesus. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 first. I mean that the heir. Now, he's saying that because he just finished in chapter 3 that we looked at two weeks ago, that through Christ, we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We are heirs according to the promise that God made with Abraham, that through the, the, the family of Abraham, through his family tree, all the world would be blessed with the Messiah, that Messiah, of course, being Jesus. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. As long as he is a child, no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything. So verse 1 says, this is the way it is in, in, in your uh, inheritance in Christ. It's, it's like a child. A child, until they get to a certain age, does not take a hold of the inheritance, does not appreciate the inheritance, does not have access to the inheritance. And so there's no difference between the child of the inheritance and a slave in that regard. Though he's the owner of everything, it's important to understand what we have in Christ, that, that we are the owner of everything. A little more explanation, verse 2. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So there are some people, we call them trust fund babies, don't we? There are some people that by their DNA, they have just been born into a family that has a lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot of property, whatever it might be. And perhaps it's putting a will. It's putting the will that this child cannot take a hold of their inheritance until they're 25 years old, right? And so they know that they have got to wait. It's all theirs. Maybe it's $10 million. Maybe it's $20 million. Whatever the amount is. At 10 years old, they've been told, they've been taught, when you get to be 25, this is how much you're going to have, but not until you're 25, because we want you to be able to know how to handle the money before it's yours. However, it's all yours. You have it. You own all of the inheritance. That's what the Lord is saying to us here. By faith in Christ, we have all the inheritance but there's a date set by his father. And it says here in verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. So just like that child of the inheritance, trust fund baby, just like that trust fund baby, here we were, people, mankind, in the Old Testament, promised inheritance. Promised inheritance. They were going to receive parts of the provision, but the fullness was not going to be theirs until the appointed time came by the Father. And that's what happened. Jesus came. So, what we had is everything. That's important for us to know. There was a time factor. A time factor. Boy, Satan uses the time factor... To, to his benefit. He is always promising. You know, this, this Jesus said he was going to return. Look how long it's been. 
How long have you been waiting for God to answer that prayer? How long has it been for you to pray for God to take care of this business? You've been waiting a long time. God must not care for you because you have had to wait a lengthy amount of time. And, and mankind has waited a lengthy amount of time. There was parts, there were pieces of the inheritance that they could take use of, but not the fullness, not the completeness, not everything that God has to give us through Christ. And so he begins to explain it. He begins to explain the inheritance. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come. That's a beautiful, beautiful scripture. When the fullness of time came. Fullness means everything was in place. Everything was right in time. It was time for Christ to come. And at Christmas time, we often read that scripture, that in the fullness of time, Jesus came into the world. Verse 4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. We know it was the fullness of time for many reasons. There's three top ones, I suppose. It was the right time religiously for Jesus to come. Oh, there was such frustration with religion. There was frustration with the Jewish faith. The Jewish people had frustration with their faith. They had worn out the, the prophets. They had a negative view of the priests. They did not have a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. They wanted the blessing, but not the blesser. It was the fullness of time for Jesus to come because people were hungry religiously. It was the right time. It was the fullness of time for Jesus to come because of the way things were culturally. And one of the, one of the real assets that there was to the taking the gospel to the whole world that they knew at that time was the fact that Greek was the main language in written form. And they could pass letters around. And it was easy. And, and most people had access to someone that could read Greek to them. And so you had that going for you. The Greeks who had conquered and had their highways and byways in place and their culture was still in place, had that wonderful Greek language that explains everything so well. And as the Romans came and they did their thing, that, that Greek language was still in place. And so the scripture, the letters could be passed around, could easily be translated if it was needed, and, and it could go throughout the whole country. And it was the right time politically. Now, I would not want to be under Roman rule, but there's one thing about being under Roman rule. If you follow the Roman rule, you can live in peace. You got to pay, you got to pay the Caesar. You got you know, you to bow to Caesar and all those kind of things. You've, you've got to go along with the Roman laws. But what Rome wanted most of all, well, two things, I suppose. They wanted to have it all for themselves. But what they really valued was that their society was so wonderful that after they conquered, that there would be peace in the land. And, and those Caesars would go back to Rome and they would give reports on what it's life is like in in the Middle East, what life is like in Turkey and different parts of Europe, and, and what they lauded, 
what they celebrated was that everyone's life is better because of us. Whether it was true or not, that's what they wanted. And so it was the right time politically because you could maneuver, you could travel. There were the Roman roads that you could use that, that the missionaries and the Christian people could travel better. There, there were shipping industries. There was lots of advantages. So like never before, when Jesus came into the world, it was the fullness of time for the mission and the plan of God. Now, if God did that, if God waited for the fullness of time, when you are waiting for an answer to prayer, when you are waiting for God to do something, keep this in mind. God's timing is better than our timing. And what God wants to provide, and when he wants to provide it, really matters. And so the wait that you hear, or the no that you hear, it, it is for your benefit. It is for the benefit of our Lord. It is so that he's magnified. And, and so the fullness of time says to us that God is Lord over time. He's Lord over time. And the time in which you live, when I say time, I'm speaking about the time in which we live, the time that we see, the events of the time that we have. So different definitions for that time. He's Lord over it all. And just rest in the fact that Jesus came into the world when it was the fullness of time. That's what we have. That's what we have in the Lord. We have the Lord who is the Lord over time. So you can rest in that. You can wait in that. And then we see in verse 5, the fullness of time happened Christ was born in the flesh. And then we see that he was born to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption. Adoption. Not adopted. My two children are not adopted. But I've been around adopted children. The idea of adoption is really pretty special if you think about that. Years ago, I heard a guy talking about the struggle they had with their adopted child. Their adopted child did not feel, did not believe that they were at the same spot as the biological children. And the dad and the mom, when the child got old enough, sat that child down and said, listen, you got to understand something. Your brother and sister... We had them biologically, right? But you, we chose you. We chose you. You're different. We just had them, but not you. You are as special as them. We wouldn't choose differently anytime. We would always choose you. You are just as much our child as the other two are. You are equal. We have been adopted by our Lord Jesus. He chose us. He said, come into me. 
The Holy Spirit convicted us. Jesus came to redeem us, to purchase us, so that we might be adopted as his sons. Now, when it says sons, it's not leaving you girls out. It's talking about all of y'all. But all y'all don't go in the Greek. So sons is for all children. And not only are we adopted, but if you've ever wondered, does God really care about me? Does, you know, did God just create and then move away like a deist believe? That God is God and he's in charge, but he's not really involved in everyday life. He's just not involved in, um, in how we feel and, and what we're going through. Look what it says here. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, let me tell you something, guys. You've worried about me leaving, but when I leave, it's going to be better for you because I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The word Abba means Dad. The term Father means Father. Abba means Dad. It means that there is a closeness of the relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus. Abba, Father. Close relationships, intimate relationships, a relationship that's based on love, a relationship that's based on compassion, a relationship with the Heavenly Father that's unique for every one of us. And it's, it's a close dad-child relationship that God desires to have with all of us. Don't lose sight of the fact that regardless of what's going on in your life, Regardless of your circumstances, what's taking place, you can know one thing for sure. God desires to have a love relationship with every single one of us. He desires us to know him. He desires us to hear him. He desires to spend time with us. He wants us to sit on that beautiful back porch with the creek running back in it and just spend time with him. Because what our Heavenly Father longs for with that jealous heart that Exodus 20 teaches about, is unhindered time with his children. There's nothing better than for a dad to have unhindered time with their loved ones. And haven't you found that the older you get in life, the more experience you have, that's wealth, that's riches, is to be able to spend time with your loved ones, to be able to love your loved ones, to be able to laugh with your loved ones, to be able to share life with your loved ones and go through all the experiences that our loved ones go through and be there with them, be there for them, to experience those life experiences together. There, there's no greater value than you can put on, uh, on life than that. And, and that's what our Heavenly Father wants for us. That's what we have. We have a Heavenly Father that wants us to have an Abba relationship with Him. And it can happen. It can take place. You can have that through the Holy Spirit. You can have that relationship. 
You can feel His presence. You can know His presence. You can hear His voice. He knows your name. You can hear His voice. You can have that warming of your heart when the Lord speaks to you and teaches you and guides you and comforts you. You can have it. Nothing better than that. So verse 6 tells us of that love relationship we have with Abba Father. And then verse 7. I don't know a better way to say this than to say this. Uh, you got more money than Davy Crockett. I looked that up. That's only from Forrest Gump. I figured that was some great saying of long ago. I grew up in the, in the, in the country of Crockett National Park Bank. I thought that's what that was talking about when I saw Forrest Gump. Because Crockett County got lots of money. And if you bank at the Crockett, you got access to lots of money if you can qualify for it. And Forrest Gump says, we got more money than David Crockett. But David Crockett didn't have much money. So it was just a writer thing, but it become kind of lore. Haven't you heard people say, that guy's got more money than the David Crockett? Went, yeah, what means he's rich. He's got more money than Rockefeller. He's got more money than the Standard Oil Man. You know, he's got more money. Or you can say like this, that guy's so rich, he can eat chicken, he can eat fried chicken every day if he chooses to. Because people that can eat fried chicken every day, they got money. We are rich. That's what verse 7 says about us. That's what you have. You are filthy rich. As a believer in Christ, there is nothing you don't have. You own everything. Isn't that what the Scripture tells us? In Christ, we have everything. You own everything. You have an inheritance. Now, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, if, if you could have a joy that never runs out, you'd be wealthy, wouldn't you? If I walked in that pawn shop in Las Vegas and I went up to Rick, the old bald guy, or what's the, Corey's his son, and what's the real goofy guy? What? Who? What's his name? Chumley. Chumley, my man. I like Chumley. Don't remember his name. I'd walk up to Chumley and I said, Chumley, in this box, I have got some dust. Well, what kind of dust is that? Chumley would say. I say, if you just take a smell of this box every day, you will have all the joy you'll ever need. Ooh, how much do you want out of that? What do you intend to do? Are you going to pawn it or sell it? Someone will sell it. What would unhindered, unlimited joy be worth? You got a dollar figure for me? Five million? Unlimited joy? Ten million? Unlimited joy never runs out. No matter what's going on, you can have joy. Twenty-five million? No, 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 you understand. Unlimited joy never runs out. And all you got to do is sniff it. 
All you got to do is just have it there. All you got to do is apply it. I've got another box here. I say, Chumley, how much would you give me for this box of dust? Well, what does it do? Man, this box gives us unlimited peace. Unlimited peace. How much would you give me for that? This little box here, unlimited peace. Oh, you, you mean to tell me always peace? Always peace. Never runs out, never runs out. What if life gets really, really bad and there's really a war going on around you in your life and inside there's really all these issues and problems that you're going through? Unlimited peace. All you got to do is open the box and apply it. Just sniff it. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your world. It doesn't matter what it's shaped like. It doesn't matter what kind of situations you're struggling with. Unlimited peace. Well, how, what do you want to do? You want to pawn it or sell it? I want to sell it to you. I'm going to sell you unlimited peace. Ooh. Put a price on it. What would you pay for unlimited peace? I mean, 10 million? Well, it's unlimited, dude. Never runs out. And you can, maybe you can take a little pinch of it and give it to different people, and they can have that unlimited peace. You see what I'm saying? With God, through Christ Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, we have unlimited joy, unlimited peace. We have unlimited grace, unlimited love, unconditional love, even better than that. That's what we have. We are richer than the Davy Crockett. We are wealthy. We can eat fried chicken every single day. You didn't know you had that, did you? You've been wondering, where, why is everybody else rich and you're not? You are rich. You are wealthy. You need to be on the board of the, of the National Bank because you have access to everything that God has for us in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Live it. Understand what you have and live it out. Yep. If you'll take inventory, you want what you already have in Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray today you just guide and lead us. Help us to consider what you have told us today. That we are heirs of everything you have. And I'm so thankful you're not holding anything back from us. If we'll just apply if we'll just believe you and trust you and obey you, we can live out that wealth. In Jesus' name, amen. Esther, please come forward.